This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm in the offices of KPMG this morning with the fabulous Melanie Richards, who is the Deputy Chair of KPMG UK. We met earlier in the year at a Heroes event where she holds the number one position on the Heroes FT list for business leaders who are supporting and championing women. It's a delight to be here this morning. Thanks for joining us, Melanie. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm not sure about that introduction. (laughs) You know I'm not keen on this one title. I'm very proud of it on one level, but uh, I figure that there are so many people doing so much in this space. I always get a little bit funny about it. <laughs> but what title would you prefer? Oh, no, no. It's, it's very kind of you to, to point it out. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those humbling things that, that you get and, and you look around and think how many other people are doing great stuff and work in this area. And I know you've met many of them. So, but yeah, thank you for the kind introduction. I should just be graceful about it. Look, my pleasure. And I think <laughs> these lists are important to highlight people doing great work because it shows, um, well, it shows people how it's done and it's still important and there's still a conversation to be had around well, supporting and progressing women. And um, obviously you're very congruent about that and that's something at working we really believe in as well. So KPMG has been recognised as a leading company addressing social mobility in the UK and beyond. Can you share a bit about um, what steps KPMG has actually taken to earn this reputation and how companies, particularly financial services, can do more on this front? So when I when I think about social mobility, you know, you could almost sort of put it in the camp of social justice in a way. And to be fair, you know, it's something that's now much higher on the agenda, I think, across the UK than it was maybe five years ago. But it's something that KPMG has been very focused on for over a decade, whether it's our support of the living wage as one of the very, very early signatories to that pledge, right the way through to the sort of outreach we do in schools and the work we do to identify students to come and join us. But I think that there are sort of two big drivers. I mean, one is the social justice question, which is, you know, to what extent are we being inclusive as an organisation? But the other as important part for us is we're a people business. You know, I think most most businesses in truth are people businesses, but even more so here because that's what we are. That's what we do. And so we need a broad range of people. Uh, a broad range of types of people uh, and we need a broad range of thinking and we think we get that from bringing all types of people into our organisation. But I also think that, you know, you ask the question, you know, what have we been doing? I think with all, whatever sort of part of the inclusion agenda you're working in, for me, you have to be really mindful about what you're trying to do. And that doesn't mean that it's easy or that there are any quick wins. I'd love to give you a nice list that says, do these things and it'll work. But as you know, because you work in this area, it's not quite as easy as pushing buttons. But I think mindfulness comes in the form of understanding your data. So we've done a lot of work in understanding who is in our organisation, where have they come from, 
how did they come to be here uh, and then thought about interventions that we can do whether it's in our outreach to schools whether it's in our attraction of students and which universities we go to and indeed you know the sort of analysis we do on people's progression inside our organization so we believe quite a lot not surprised kpmg you wouldn't be surprised we like a bit of data uh, so we do use data, but it's not all about just about the data. Of course, then there's the question of of how do you make people feel welcome inside the organisation and how do you enable them to reach their full potential? Is there anything particularly that stands out across all the programmes that KPMG is running that has really worked? Something quite sort of maybe tactical you could share or tangible? So I think we've used outside experts. I think sometimes you think you kind of know what the problem is and you can kind of solve it for yourself. But, you know, for example, we have used people like the Bridge Group and other organisations who have helped us in identifying where our outreach should go to. You know, how can we target most effectively into parts of society and parts of the country, maybe, where we wouldn't naturally have gone without actually thinking more mindfully about it. But also that data analysis. So we haven't just done data analysis ourselves. We've asked uh, other people to look at it and give us sort of advice on what we should do. And that might sound strange because we're an advisory business and, you know, frankly, we do advise on these types of things as well. But I think, you know, there's that phrase, isn't there, physician heal thyself. You know, doctors aren't always the best people to treat family members. I think sometimes it's really useful to get an external lens on what does the profile of the workforce look like? Why aren't we attracting particular groups and types of people? And in the case of social mobility, that's as true as with any other group. You're a founding member of the 30% Steering Committee an initiative to increase female representation in FTSE boards and leaderships. What policies and practices have you seen that are helping to raise the visibility and representation of women on boards? Well, I think we're much more clued up than we once were. But I think at a most fundamental level, it is about leadership. So, you know, you kind of have to start at the top of an organisation. Is there a true and authentic commitment to changing the shape of the organisation and how it looks? And when you look at what we have achieved so far, and I say so far because, you know, work is never done. I hope one day we won't be having this conversation. I hear you. But, you know, when I think about what's happened in the boardroom, that's been all about leadership. It's been all about chairs making very, very conscious decisions about what they want the makeup of their boardrooms to look like. Obviously, with a little bit of nudging from people like the 30% Club and the Davis Review and now subsequently the Hampton Alexander Review. But... All of those things have conspired together to encourage a leader to make a change. Now, in the case of boardrooms, it's relatively straightforward because the chair does have a, a huge amount of influence over the composition of the, the people around the table and can make some real interventions. And we've seen that. And I think that's a testimony to some really great men, actually, who've, who've made a big difference. When you think about it as a, a sort of an organisational level and a, at an executive level, clearly that leadership has to come from deeper than in the organisation. It, it isn't just about whether you've got a great chief executive who feels committed to the agenda. So it's looking at recruiting recruitment policies, you know, everything from how do you describe a role? And, you know, there's even technology now, and you guys would know about that. Uh, there's even technology that you can look at, like Textio, where you can scan a, a CV or you can scan a, a job description and actually 
see if you are creating any sort of bias and this is good not just for gender but just by any bias whatsoever in the in the job description that you're putting out into the market other things include recruitment you know recruitment policies so very recently actually and and this is sort of been part of a journey and it was put into the press very recently that we'd pulled all together all of our recruitment providers we'd already given them guidelines but we gave them clearer guidelines for want of a better word about what we were expecting from them and where the bar was in terms of not just gender diversity but ethnicity as well and I think those relationships are really important and the team understanding that. We've had targets for some time I wouldn't say targets do this on their own you know we've learned from that experience but back to my point about data when I was talking about social mobility I think understanding what the profile of your workforce is is a big start in understanding what's missing but more importantly not just understanding the sort of static data but what's the progression data look like how are people getting promoted where are you seeing drop-offs and then you can do you know put interventions in place at particular sort of stages in people's career so for example our graduate recruitment which is you know we are one of the big graduate recruiters in this country we've done an enormous amount of work around looking at the composition of who we're recruiting, but not just worrying about what it looks like as a result, but why we get the results we get. And so, for example, um, just the way in which we interview and all of those things come into play as well. And, And indeed, that process has been become much less interview biased and much more assessment biased. What didn't you know when you started out on your career path? And how would you do things differently now? How long have you got? I've got all day, Melanie. So, you know, one of the things I've been saying recently, I've reached the sort of grand, it's not that old, but it is 54 and I have been working for more than 35 years actually. And, And so... I kind of reflect and think, God, I wish I did know what I know now. And and I think the biggest message for me would be not to be as anxious as I was. I probably worried about things a little bit too much and whether things were right or wrong. And I still, I don't want to give you the impression that I have no nervousness or anxious anxiety about anything, but I'm much more sanguine about that. And um, I think over the years, I've always been pretty resilient, but over the years I've developed much more resilience. And, and I think that's all part of learning. And, you know, you try and convey that to people But there is a sort of a path that you have to go down. But I would say to people, be less anxious about things, about decisions that you make. Typically, having ploughed more anxiety in doesn't change the quality of your decision. And I'm talking now about your own personal decisions more than anything else. I think the other thing as well is that, again, I'm about to say take more risk. And of course, it depends where your risk spectrum is. But I think because of, you know, the anxiety, sometimes I I was slower to make decisions to do things or maybe worried about doing things for too long and actually should have just got on with doing them. And with the benefit of hindsight, I could have just moved faster and harder. Who was it that championed you along the way? Well, the really interesting thing is, I mean, you hear a lot about sponsorship and and the value of sponsorship, and I don't deny that for a second. and, And I always think it's really important to at any point in your career know who is going to be your cheerleader if if you like in an organization but i wouldn't put it down to any one person that 
and, and that isn't to detract from the very many great people. And you may have gathered I'm hedging here because if anyone hears this, I don't want to, to single any per, one person out. But actually, I think there is an important message, which you have different cheerleaders at different stages of your career. And it's quite important to identify who they are, not in a kind of crude, are you going to sponsor me sort of way. I always think that's like saying to somebody, are you going to date me? I mean, let's be serious about it for a second. These relationships are really important professional relationships. And it happens over time. And it's if you deliver excellence, but also have a sort of a, a spoken sometimes, but often unspoken contract that says, I'll work really hard for you and we'll both do well out of that but I need to see what that means for me and I think I think I've had many good people along the way who I've built and nurtured those sorts of relationships with I should mention at this point actually that you know some of those relationships have been also outside of the organization so it depends what you, you know we're talking about here so you know, often those relationships have been inside the organization I'm working in but there are other people I go to council for which is slightly different who sit completely outside my workspace and they aren't even in some cases people who are in the world that I, I inhabit and I find that hugely valuable it keeps me really really grounded and it also keeps things in perspective. So that's probably a nice segue into well who do you pick up the phone to when things get tough? Probably most of all my husband, and, and and I suppose it depends on what your definition of anything getting tough. Clearly there are professional things that I might go and consult with other colleagues here, my own chairman, the managing partner here, you know, Bill and Philip. You know, these are all important relationships for me and other colleagues inside the organisation. But I think that I like the lens, and my husband does not live or what he works, but he doesn't, he has his own business, but he doesn't work in my world. And, and I value perspective from him, as I do my very best girlfriend, who's known me since I was six and really does know all my foibles. <laughs> we all need our best girlfriends. We do. If I came to work for you tomorrow, what would be the first thing I'd notice about the way you get things done? Wow. Well, you know, it's always like what you like to think about yourself, okay? You probably should have got my team in to ask this question. But in all seriousness, I I think they would say that I'm quite clear about what I want and expect of people, that I communicate that, that I'm a collaborator by nature. I like to pull people together and get them to be the best they can be, but also get the best out of them. I also think I talked about that kind of expectation I'm always trying to see what more somebody can do so the people who work for me I don't see them as static providers of you know support to me or part of my team in a specific place they are for the moment but I'm always thinking about and pushing them a little bit about what more they can be doing to either develop themselves or how I can support them in their development. Because I, I do think that we're a product of the environment we work in. And at the end of the day, I, I don't want to give the impression I shove and push people who don't want to, to, to put be shoved and pushed, but I'm very blessed. I work in a very high performing environment. I have some wonderfully talented people around me. And my task and challenge is to help them progress and help them be, as I say, the best that they can be and also discover things about themselves that they don't know yet that they could do. 
how do you think they would describe you if I did, you know, pop my head in around the corner here and ask uh, a few of the guys? That's a really unfair question. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really unfair question. I I think they would probably describe me as um, fair. I think they'd describe me as... Uh, they all worry about I work too hard. They're always on about me working too hard and, and therefore that places pressures upon them by definition. But but it's all done in a good, good spirited sort of way. I think they would say that I'm quite tough, actually, but, but I think tough in, I hope, the best possible way that they feel like they are being pushed. And I suppose how I described how I think about my relationship with them is possibly how they would describe how they feel about it. Great. So what is your superpower? Oh, I thought about this. I did ask the team about this. Um, and um, one of my colleagues said, oh, it's night vision because she reads late at night. <laughs> so I thought that was rather good, actually. Uh, I think I'd come back to resilience. The sort of nature of work I've done historically, the roles I've had. And I think it demands a level of resilience and I think you learn part of that over time, but I think by nature, I'm not insensitive at all to what's going on around me, but I have have learned over the years that you have to look forward, you have to to work with what you have in front of you. And I think it's a quality that in this world, particularly now, I mean, I look back, I, I, I said at the top of the conversation, you know, I've been around a long time and... I look back in my early career with the sort of speed of execution of things, the expectations people had, the level of ambiguity, the level of challenge, the level of transparency that's demanded of all of us. And all of those things, you know, we're in a seismically different place. And therefore, when I ask myself what we need from from the people coming through, the level of resilience they're going to need to have and their ability to operate in ambiguous situations is where we're going to need to be. And and I I suppose I regard those as the things that actually, funnily enough, I thrive on. Well, Melanie, it's been fabulous to meet you again and hear your very wise words. I mean, for me, I personally took the ability to deal with ambiguity as hugely important in moving forward in one's career, that actually you should be less anxious, take the risks, probably have a pretty good time doing it as well and continue to be a, you know, a great supporter of women because we're all inspired by the work you're doing here at um, KPMG and more broadly with 30% Club. Most of all, have fun. Have fun. Have <laughs> fun. You heard it here first with Melanie Richards. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Work and With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes. 